Hello and welcome to the Irish Fire Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Halton. I'm an entrepreneur, investor, and financial independence enthusiast, sharing my financial freedom journey. Stay tuned and welcome aboard. In this episode, we talk about money. I talk with Aoife Gaffney, who goes under the alias Prudence Moneypenny. Aoife is a money coach, and she usually works with individuals or couples on helping them manage their money better. We have a great general chat about money. We discuss a little bit of my own personal situation as well. So hopefully there's some good nuggets of information in there. Before we cross over to the interview, I thought I'd let you know as well that there is now a new financial independence meetup group in Cork, so that if you are based in Cork, you can join the group. And I'll also link to the meetup group in the show notes. Let's jump over to the interview. So Aoife, thank you so much for being on the show with me today. Good to hear from you, Michael. I actually saw your article that was mentioned in the Sunday Independent, and I was immediately intrigued. I mean, firstly, I know that you say that you're a certified behavioral money coach. Can you please tell me what that is in plain English? Well, I trained with an amazing woman called Deborah Price in Northern California, and she runs the Money Coaching Institute. So behavioral money coaching really looks at your money mindset, and it looks at the underlying behaviors in people. So it's it's really the whole science around money. We look at neuroeconomics and why people spend, why people save, and what triggers people's spending decisions. I was actually at a shop earlier this evening. I had a decision between a 30 euro pair of sunglasses and a 6 euro 50 pair of sunglasses. And as much as I wanted to buy the 30 euro pair, I could not bring myself to do it. I walked out of the shop spending 6 euro 50. Now, my logic was because I knew my kids were probably going to destroy my sunglasses anyway. And uh, my feeling was going to be a lot happier once I knew that they destroyed a 650 pair versus a 30 euro pair. But uh, <laughs> I don't know if it's those sort of things that you cover, but um, that's, that's me to a T, I guess. I cover lots of different things. The first question I have for you is, is why? I mean, what, what inspired you to sort of go down this journey and, and what's your background? I understand that you worked in the financial services industry. Uh, my background is a little bit checkered, as most people's backgrounds are. Gone are the days where you started your job at 17, 18 and died a bit more each day and left at 65. So I worked in financial services for quite a while. I worked predominantly in lending and then the lending market change. So when I say lending, I mean uh, mortgages rather than personal loans and, or car finance. So I, I did a little bit of that. I worked predominantly in organizing mortgages for people, a little bit of financial planning. And then the market changed and the new products were introduced. So specialist and subprime lending, which Ireland had never heard of up until about maybe 10, 15 years ago. And so I was dealing with people who were looking to refinance, to restructure their loans and maybe restructure short-term debt into a mortgage, which is not the answer. It is an answer and there's, there's a big difference. And then people would come back to us maybe two years or maybe 18 months into the new mortgage with the same problem, but this time it was 10 times worse because there was no equity. There was, there was very little margin for error. And I started to look at these are intelligent people. These people are running their own businesses. These are 
clever people who know how to run a business, you know, who know how to do things. So why are they repeating these patterns of behavior? Sometimes when you look at other people's patterns, you have to really stare at yourself in the mirror. And there was the guy. There's always the guy. So there was the guy that turned into that guy who left me quite substantially in debt. And then there was the next guy who left me well, he didn't leave me. I had to take responsibility for my actions. So I found myself once again left massively in debt as the result of a, a guy, the guy, that guy. And I thought, okay, I'm an intelligent woman. What on earth is wrong with me? So it made me really start to examine patterns of behavior, why people do the things that they do, even though sometimes we know knowing and doing are two very different things. So that then started me on this very, very interesting journey of studying neuroeconomics and the whole psychology of money. We're going to have to obviously go into that a little bit. And I know a lot of the coaching that you do is specifically with couples. The most common question that I would get from listeners of the show is, how do I get my partner to join me on this kind of financial freedom journey that I'm hoping to go on and kind of break some of the bad spending habits that, you know, the couple may have found themselves into. I'm, I know I'm opening up a can of worms here, uh, Aoife, but I mean, <laughs> is there any sort of top three tips that you might recommend or any sort of a short list to say, right, this is where you start or, or anything like that? It starts with your big why. Why do you want to be financially free and what does it look like to you? And I say you, I mean you personally. You, you can't really change other people's behavior. Although women, we do tend to, I'll alter him. Uh, the women are, we tend to be the fixers. We tend to be, you know, he'll be, he'll be fine now once I just, you know, knock the edges off him. So everything starts with yourself. So you start with yourself and you begin to do the work on yourself. So, you know, why do you want this? What does it look like? Uh, how much do you want? And, and start with yourself. And if the other person isn't on board, you can't really change them, but you can lead by example. So whatever the big why is, and I do this a lot with couples and families, so whatever the big why is, maybe it's a holiday or it's just being able to do the things that you want to do or have more time with your family, that you write it down and either in words or pictures or whatever works best and stick it somewhere quite visible. So on the fridge, maybe if it's a, a shared space, you could stick it on the inside of your bedroom wardrobe door. When you have those moments of, will I buy the six euro sunglasses or will I buy the 30 euro sunglasses? Everything goes back to your big why. And it, it also, it means that you don't really have to be kind of nagging the other person. The big why is always there and you can add it into conversations. You can use visual anchors. So the little reminders, you know, vision boards, all those little sort of subtle things are there. You don't always have to go on about it. But communication is hugely important. And having those open and honest conversations about money, which can be quite difficult to do, it's keep the conversations short, keep them to the point and remove the emotion. So stick to the facts. The fact is, you know, we have this much money to spend this week, month, year on the holiday, the car, the groceries or whatever, and stop talking. Because women, me included, we tend to overcomplicate things and we, we make things sort of long-winded and generally men prefer things that are short, clear and to the point. Well, I certainly couldn't uh, agree with you more with that one, Aoife. 
we had a situation there yesterday. So being September, it's tax refund time of the year for us. And for whatever reason, we always seem to get a nice chunky tax refund, which is amazing. So our tax refund, we actually sat down last night and we decided, right, let's work out how we're going to spend this. And when I say spend, I mean, you know, in some cases we bought some investments and so on. But we put about half of it away for Christmas, which we tend to do every year. And we also started putting some into a savings account for our son's communion, which is happening in May next year. So we're literally talking eight months away and we were planning that far out. And it was a bit of a heated discussion. It wasn't a smooth discussion. And I find myself quite grumpy when I um, have to do budgeting and talking about money. I think it's sometimes hard because I guess I'm the guy that doesn't like to spend it. And my wife, she acknowledges that money needs to be spent and, and wants to make sure that it's there when it needs to be. So it's understandable. And I guess we are both on track with what we want to do and, and we both see it the same way, but there's still always that niggly arguments and heated uh, debates on some of these things about how you actually go about spending the money. It is a common problem. And what's very useful to do is, if I'm working with a couple, I'll do this individually first and then we do it together. We go back and look at your money stories. So what were your stories when you were growing up? So when I was growing up, money was scarce and it was always talked about in terms of scarcity. I have a big family and my mom wasn't allowed to work outside the home, just that was the law. So there was one income coming into a very big household. I remember the money conversations were always a little tense. Dad was very much the breadwinner and my mom always felt very accountable to him and she had huge difficulties spending money because she never felt it was hers. And I have actually repeated, note past tense, have repeated those patterns of behavior, you know, I had a tendency to hand over control to whoever the guy was at the time. And so my relationship with money wasn't spectacular because I had a difficulty in managing money for myself because I didn't feel that that's what women did. So that took quite a while for me to figure that out. And then once I'd figured out, OK, so that's where that's coming from. That's why I really struggled to communicate about money with somebody else. OK, so I don't need that anymore. I'll put that aside. And now I can have empowering, open and honest conversations with my husband. We're still working on them and we, we do keep our conversations short. And if we find that one person is getting a little bit uncomfortable, we just go and do something else and come back to it. But the important thing to remember is do come back to it, but don't come back to it when you're upset. Don't come back to it when you're tired. And absolutely no, don't come back to it when you're grumpy. And if you need to talk about the money, we'll go for a walk. So it's instead of sitting down, facing each other across the table, we'll go for a walk or go somewhere in the car because you're both facing forwards and nobody can go anywhere. They can be quite useful if you need to have, and not necessarily about money, but if you need to have a slightly awkward conversation with somebody, just try and avoid direct eye contact because then it can turn into conflict quite quickly. Very interesting. And I mean, I'm guessing that most couples' biggest issue is probably money, right? That's, I'm assuming that that's the root of many, many arguments. So in many cases, you're actually, you're, you're, as, you're as much a uh, sort of marriage counsellor as you would be a money coach in a, in a lot of cases, I'm guessing. It can bring up a lot of other emotions. And money is not the cause, it's a symptom. And it's often the root cause can be something else completely different. I had one couple I was dealing with, and it actually, it was nothing to do with money. It was that the, the wife was really annoyed because her husband would never put the bin out. And so this was something that she had just had huge difficulties articulating. And but that actually was what was driving her bananas. So every time you know, they sit down to talk about things, she would just in her head, she'd go, he just never puts the flipping bin out. 
And it just drove her crazy. And she'd never been able to articulate it. She'd never been able to say it. And it was never really about the money. And, you know, once she said that, he said, well, why did you never ask me to? <laughs> and so it was just, a, it was actually a very genuine miscommunication. I mean, I think in many cases, money's probably the symptom, right? It's not the cause. So even in our family's case, the cause was actually time. And for me, it was frustrating because I was going every year selling my time, working as a contractor, so I didn't get paid holidays or paid sick days or anything like that. And I remember so many days being so sick, but having to work in bed just to make sure that we had enough money for that month. You know, every year of doing this, you'd, especially Christmas time, you'd be going, oh gosh, here we go again, but I've got nothing to show for it. And from my wife's point of view, it was, well, he's off all day working and we don't seem to still have any money, you know? So it was very much a case where, look, let's change this pattern. Let's start reducing our expenses so that I can actually be spending time and more time with the kids and with my wife. And so any sort of conflict that we have is typically these days not about money. It's about, you know, why aren't you here or why are you doing too much stuff outside of the house? So it's one of those situations where, you know, money really is a symptom. It's not the cause. It is. And you used an interesting word there. And it's a word that I generally try and avoid using is should. It's those feelings of guilt. If you and I work and I work quite hard, but I work because I work the way I work because I choose to and I work the way I work because I actually enjoy it. Sometimes when I am working, I think, oh, crumbs, you know, I really, I should be doing this, I should be doing that. I should be cleaning the floor or I should be spending more time with my family. And then when I'm with my family, sometimes that mind chatter, you know, I really should be working on this. I should be working on my next book. I should be with a client. And then so I let go of that word. And now I do things from a place of choice. So I have chosen not to clean my kitchen floor, which is absolutely filthy at the moment. But you know what? I don't care because I'll do it tomorrow. So I'm choosing not to clean the kitchen floor and I'm choosing this podcast interview instead. Yeah, excellent. I suddenly don't feel so bad about the uh, pile of clean washing in my washing machine that I haven't taken out to hang out yet. So I've been staring at it all day. But uh, yeah, look, to be honest, that is probably something that I probably suffer for. And I do feel guilty all the time. I feel time guilt all the time. And, you know, it's one of these things I often say that I feel like my freelance work gets in the way. But I mean, I have to do it. I mean, I'm still not financially independent yet. So it's not like I've got a choice to do it. And truthfully, even if I was financially independent, I would still probably do it anyway. So it's one of these things where like we can't, especially when you've got young kids, I mean, they're exhausting, right? So sometimes you actually need that escape. Sometimes work feels like more of an escape than, uh, than going in and spending time with the kids because you just sometimes need that break. I couldn't agree more. But I always feel that choice is important. And when you do things from a place of choice, it's empowering. People will often say to me, oh, well, I didn't have a choice. I had to do this or that would have happened. I say, well, you did have choice. You just didn't like what was behind door number two. When you make a conscious decision to do something and you take responsibility for your actions in Jack Canfield's book, The Success Principles, success principle number one is take responsibility. It's not accepting blame. It's not coming from a place of martyrdom. It's just taking responsibility for your decisions and doing things from a place of choice. In regards to kind of motivating a partner into a lot of this stuff, right? So let's say a partner's got bad spending habits or maybe they're just not conscious of it. I know my wife for a long time and I'm just kind of throwing her under the bus here a little bit, but she struggled with impulsive buying. So she just couldn't help herself for a long time. And there were cases where she was paid monthly and three days later she'd be back to zero in the bank account going, right, there's 27 more days in the month. And I was kind of going, oh, geez, here we go again, you know. I mean, it was extremely difficult for me to, uh, or at least for her to grow out of that. 
certainly didn't happen overnight. It, it came from her struggling for a long time and then realizing that, you know, maybe I do have a problem here and slowly adapting over time. And I mean, thankfully, it was never major. You know, it wasn't like she was getting herself into piles and piles of debt. She always kind of lived from a debit card, not a credit card, which certainly helped her situation. But in many cases, changing habits is difficult, right? And, you know, when you see this and you can see the mistakes somebody's making, it's difficult not to find yourself trying to you know, be holier than thou and try to get them to change. And I mean, what sort of advice would you give to somebody who's in that situation, I guess? We often offer unsolicited advice and unsolicited opinions. And the difference between an opinion and a pizza is that I actually asked for the pizza. So sometimes you do have to keep your mouth closed. And my husband has, and still probably would be a little bit of an impulsive spender. And he'd say, oh, you know, but it was on special. I say, well, a bargain is only a bargain if you needed the thing in the first place and you had planned to pay full price for it. And if you happen to buy it at a reduced price, then it is of value to you. So I usually get people just to make a spending plan in advance. The word budget just doesn't sit right with me. It makes my hair stand on end. I personally don't use that word. So we make a personal spending plan, which I think sounds far more empowering. So when you make a plan, it doesn't feel quite so restrictive. And then you make your spending decisions based on the plan, not what's in your bank balance. So that then is a way of reclaiming your power over money. So you're not stressing out about the bank balance and, you know, is it up, down, or are you in the red or in the black? Always make your spending decisions based on the plan. I'm no longer going to use the word budget. My wife hates that word. It reminds her of her father on budget day, waiting and listening to the government as they read out the budget and seeing what uh, what he's got or what extra tax he's going to have to pay this year. And it's very much a negative connotation for her. So, And I think it probably is for most people. And I love the way that it's spending plan. It immediately says we are going to be spending. And I think that's important. I think for me as well, on my financial independence journey, it's very easy to go, right, we're not going to spend a thing. It's actually sometimes feels painful to spend money. So one of the things that we did and one of the big changes that we do, because we do budget every single day, what we actually do is we, exactly as you said, we look at what's coming in that month and we allocate it according to various categories that we have. We call them funds. And so we might put 800 euros in the grocery fund. We know that that money's allocated for that. We've got our mortgage amount allocated. We have some for date night. So we know we can go out without feeling guilty about spending money going out and spending time together. So we kind of break these things up And that allows us to budget for the Christmases, for the back to schools, for the holidays, all of those sort of things. But I mean, it does take extreme discipline. I certainly, I mean, I'm not imagining that most people would be willing to put that much evidence. So, you know, how does it look for most people in terms of actually breaking down their their budget? Most people do, they make a budget in January and they go, right, now this is the year that I'm going to whatever. So they make a budget and what they end up doing is they end up trying to do like an annual forecast, which doesn't really work. You know, you're not the CEO of a major corporation. So when you spend, maybe I would spend maybe no more than about four or five minutes every day on the money stuff. So that's checking in with money. So I see money as a friend. If you don't ring your friend every day, or you don't say, hey, how are you? How are things? They're not really going to talk to you. If you only spoke to them once a year, they're not going to hang around. So I check in with money. I check my bank balances, plural, because I have multiple bank accounts. So it's really just right, you know, has that been paid? Did that come in? Did that go out? Sort out any receipts. 
throw out anything I don't need, file what I need to hang on to, and then check in with my spending plan. So again, I use funds. Some people call it the envelope method or the categories or whatever you call it. I would spend no more than about probably three minutes, four minutes every day. And then it doesn't seem like an annual ordeal, which is what it used to be when I would be preparing my annual accounts. Well, this just doesn't make any sense to wait until the end of the year to see if I've made a profit or not. Why don't I just spend two to three minutes every day, maybe every second day, and then it's done. I love that. I love that. And I think you're exactly right. I think some people are so fearful of looking at their bank account because they, they don't want to sort of own up for what's happening. And I think in many ways, checking your bank account is like looking how much petrol you've got in the car, right? Like if you're not going to check it, eventually it's going to run out. And so I think uh, in many cases, it's important that, um, that people do that, which is great advice. It doesn't have to be tedious. Now, what I did do is I renamed my bank accounts. Instead of saying, you know, bank account one or maybe they like your number one account or your number two account, which is not massively inspiring. So when I log in, the bank accounts have names like Freedom Fund or Abundant Wealth and Prosperity. I have my business account, I call it my six-figure business account. So every time I log in, again, it's about these unconscious anchors and these unconscious reminders. Uh, so I gave them nicknames or, or whatever it is. So when I log in and I, I log into my internet banking and check the bank accounts, I see these reminders. And again, it just brings me back to my big why. So if I get those wobbles, these are the things that are important to me and these are the names that I've given to these various different accounts because that's what I'm working towards. Look, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about debt and credit cards, if that's okay. Our family does use credit cards. We have two of them and we are very good with them. We've never paid any interest on them and we pay them off the full balance off when the payment is due. But I can appreciate how difficult that is. And I, like, I do know people who constantly get in trouble with their credit card and have never paid off the full balance and have been paying a lot of interest for a long, long time. And likewise with debt. I mean, I've known, I know other people who have borrowed from money lenders, and they're basically just stuck on a cycle now where they just can't even get out of the debt. What advice would you be giving to people that come who are kind of in the cycle and sort of stuck in the system where they can't get out of the debt? Depending on where the debt is, say if it's with a money lender, you want to get out of that as quickly as you possibly can. So generally your local credit union have very good rates. And I think they have a very particular loan, actually, which is specifically designed for people who are potentially in difficulties with the money lender, because that may take an external person to negotiate that loan. The goalposts might move a little bit. If you have credit card debt, you can move the balance. You can move it. Generally, you can move it for a six month interest free or a six month discounted rate. And that might give you the breathing space to get on top of it. But generally, the way to manage a credit card, a credit card is not extra money. Your credit card is a way of spending money that you have already planned to spend. Now, I use my credit card a lot. And the reason I do is because I don't pay bank charges. So ironically, I use my credit card for small things, because if I use my debit card for small things, I'll incur charges. So I use my credit card, I use it a lot, and I use it because it gives me points. So it's linked to um, a store that, you know, at the end, I think it's every quarter then I'll get store vouchers that I can then use to redeem for free groceries. So I avoid the charges. It gives me up to 56 days extra credit because the longer the money stays in my bank account, the happier I am. And it gives me rewards. But I've set it up so that the balance is paid by direct debit. 
But again, I make my spending decisions based on my plan. So my credit card is just a way of spending money that I had already planned to spend. I'm just spending it slightly differently. And so Aoife, I know you've written a couple of books. Would you mind sharing a little bit uh, for the audience about what those books are? And I know you've got a new book coming up that you might like to tell us about. I do indeed. Well, I've solo authored a couple of books. I write under the pen name Prudence Moneypenny, so you'll find those on Amazon. I have a couple of different books and they're always about my two favourite subjects, me and money. And I've co-authored Financial Freedom Explained. I co-authored Activate Your Life, which is a fantastic book full of coaching exercises for lots of different purposes. And another book which came out last year, I think it came out at this stage, called uh, We Summit Together, which was a story, stories from women of experiences that shaped them into the people that they are now. And for the first time, I actually talk about the guy that turned into that guy, into the next guy, and now into the right guy. So I explain how I didn't have a good relationship with myself. And as a result of that, I didn't have a good relationship with money. And I was handing my power over to other people. Eventually, it took me a long time, learned the error of my ways. Doesn't mean I don't make mistakes, I just make less of them. So I have another book, Activate Your Life, Volume 2, is due out in November 2019. And do not panic because you will hear all about it. Excellent, excellent. And we will be sure to link to uh, your Amazon account so that people can look to see what books you've got. Aoife, if you wouldn't mind, I mean, just for the audience, telling us a little bit about the coaching that you do and, and how people could contact you. Well, people can contact me by email at askprue at prudencemoneypenny.com. You can message me or comment on any of my posts. And I work predominantly with women, but not exclusively. I also have a free class. So if people are in the Dublin 15 area, I have a free class that's funded through the Education Training Board. And again, if you drop me a line, ask Prue at prudencemoneypenny.com, I can give you details of where those classes run because the locations vary from time to time. I work predominantly with women and I'll also work with couples, but both couples have to be in agreement I am not the mediator. I don't have a magic wand. And I guess my last question I have for you, and I know you've kind of touched on this already, but if you could go back in a time machine and give yourself some wisdom from, say, 20 or 30 years ago, what would be the sort of uh, things that you'd be wanting to pass on to your younger self? I would say, and this may sound just terribly dull and uninspiring, is start funding a pension. How dull is that? But the reason I'd say start funding a pension is... If something is tax-free, I'm first in the queue. And so one way or the other, if you earn money, you do need at some point to give some of it to the tax office. And so you don't always get to keep all your money. So you can give less of it to the tax office and you can put it into a pension fund. So because one way or the other, you have to hand your money over to somebody. So I figure, why don't I just hand it over to myself, put it into a pension fund, because you can put it in and claim all those tax credits. And then when you come to retirement age, take out the absolute maximum amount you possibly can tax-free. So dull, 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 but I never said I was exciting. Yeah, excellent. And we just actually had Ralph Benson from AnyQ on the show recently, who uh, was there to enlighten us about pensions as well. So um, yeah, but I couldn't agree more. And I've actually just opened my second pension now. So I'm certainly all in when it comes to pensions. And I think it's all very well having investments. But when you start seeing the tax bill that comes from them each year, you start to realize you've got to be a little bit more careful about how you actually structure some of those investments. So 
it is certainly good advice. Well, I think always get familiar with the tax laws in whatever country that you live in. That doesn't mean you have to hire a tax consultant. It can simply be ring up the tax office and say, could you help me with this? And one of the most useful things I did, and again, because I'm so dull, I might even bore myself, is I actually printed off a tax return and I went through it. It took me ages and I just went through it and I said, gosh, these are all of the ways that I could actually earn money. And these are all of the tax credits and tax write-offs that I could get. So why am I not using all of these? Now, they do change. They'll change from year to year. They'll change from budget to budget and they'll change from country to country, which is why I'm not getting into anything specific. But it's just a way of even just kind of asking yourself, like, oh, how come I don't have income from this category? And what about that? I didn't know about this tax credit. How, why am I missing out on this? Yeah, very much so. And I think they say seven out of 10 people in Ireland are missing out on tax refunds. And like I said, September for me is a great time of the year because that's when my taxes come through and I get a nice juicy refund. And I'm not doing anything out of the ordinary other than a few medical expenses. But I think the way the system is kind of rigged is, is everybody's sort of overpaying tax. And so when it actually balances out at the end of the year, you typically get that refund. So it is, uh, it's certainly one of those curious things that I think a lot of people aren't taking advantage of. Well, I personally find, unless you just get somebody having a dreadfully bad day, I personally find people in the tax office here in Ireland in the revenue are very helpful. I still can't figure out the online system and I would consider myself that I have average intelligence, but the online system drives me crazy. What I usually do is I ring up the tax office and I'll have the online system open and they talk me through what I need to do. I've been very, very helpful. Never be afraid of the tax office. They are actually there to help you and stop calling it the tax man. It is the tax office. So sometimes when you say, you know, the tax man can often conjure up slightly scary emotions, and particularly for women. So it is the tax office and taxation is what makes our economy flow. It's what pays for our roads and our parks and our infrastructure and our libraries and all these amazing things. When you pay your taxes, you say, well, I pay my taxes with joy. Well, I don't actually, but I say that through gritted teeth. But everything needs to be paid for. And, you know, if I have a tax bill, I go, well, thank heavens for that, because I earned. I earned enough money that I warranted a tax bill. Yeah, I think a lot of people forget that. A lot of people forget that, especially with investments. They will get so caught up on trying to find the most tax efficient investment where often the advice I will give them is, well, hang on a second. Why don't you worry about making the profit first before worrying about what the tax due is on it? Because too many times you get so caught up on what tax you're going to pay on the profit, you actually forget to make the profit in the first place. Absolutely. Yeah. Excellent. Well, listen, thank you so much. I really do appreciate you coming on the show. I, I think you've provided some amazing wisdom. Uh, you've actually helped me as well, which has been fantastic. Uh, I'm looking forward to not using the word budget. I'm sure my wife is as well, which is going to be great. So thank you so much. And listen, all the best. Great. And thank you very much. I think there's no right or wrong way to do things. Maybe, maybe you love the word budget, but if something, and my philosophy is, if it doesn't fit, flatter, function, or fill you with joy, fling it out. That applies to words, family members, and socks with holes in them. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you're a big fan of the show, why not become an Irish Fire podcast member for free? Members receive access to inside information that isn't shared on the podcast, as well as regular updates such as a monthly newsletter. To become a member, visit www.firepodcast.ie.